today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, approaching diversity and inclusion in the workforce with vulnerability. It was hard to say those words, but I felt like it was better to, to say them and let them know where I was coming from than, than to keep that inside. When whole of state really means the entire state. We realize that there's a, uh, a lack of resources within our local communities and anything we can do to assist with that, well, that's our goal. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world, as well as the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. A school district in Texas said it has fired an employee suspected of installing cryptocurrency mining devices in six school buildings. IT staff in Galveston Independent School District discovered the crypto mining rigs after noticing an unusual traffic spike. The district superintendent says the discovery of the rigs is an assurance that the district's network security is effective. The U.S. Digital Response is adding a new program for local election officials. The nonprofit group, which sprung up during the pandemic to assist governments with digital services, will work with county and local level election administrators on using open source technologies and applications. California's technology agency has a new plan for the $3.25 billion statewide broadband network that Governor Gavin Newsom okayed last year. The plan outlines 8,700 new miles of fiber to connect regions with poor internet access. Now the agency moves on to evaluate bids for materials so construction on the network can begin. Several state CIOs now list diversity and inclusion among their top priorities when laying out their state's IT strategies, according to new research from the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. The big takeaway from the report is that, quote, state IT has a workforce gap problem. One of the standouts across the state IT community, though, is the state of Tennessee. State CIO Stephanie Dedman supported an employee-led diversity and inclusion council that has started tracking staff demographics and developed volunteer and mentorship programs. Dedman tells State Scoop's Benjamin Freed about her thoughts on the report and how her state's council can be an example for states working on DEI efforts. I think the report tells us that um, it's 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 an important area for state CIOs and, and IT leadership to be continue, continuously focused on. And I think we learned that we're sort of all over the board in terms of our maturity um, across the states. Some of us have started programs, others have not, and and want to leverage best practices and lessons learned. Um, I think for me personally, through this journey with with our council, um, I've learned that it's important to take the first step and then to learn and grow and see where it takes you. And, um, but I think, you know, from the the session that we had last year at the annual conference uh, on diversity, um, it it it's just been interesting to see the interest grow and to see you know we I think Meredith Ward and and Mandy Crawford and I came out of that session saying this is important and we and we need to do something and so I'm I'm just really um, happy to be a part of the study and. That, that we learned some things and there's some good direction for, for many of us to, to take uh, yeah. actions to move forward. Yeah. So let, let's talk actually about uh, that in particular. Uh, Meredith Ward, who's NASIO's policy director, she you know, writes about you in this report quite a bit uh, and about the Diversity and Inclusion Council, uh, as well as uh, the session at last year's conference. I, I remember uh, being in the room. It was standing room only, a uh, really uh, engaged uh, crowd. But Let's, um, I want to actually uh, go back up to before that. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about how this council came about? 
So, um, you know, I like to call it a really a grassroots effort because um, two of my employees on, on our team came forward and said, you know, this is really important to us. Lots of folks within our, um, our division is called the strate uh, Strategic Technology Solutions. <clears throat> and these two gentlemen said, nobody's doing anything. And lots of folks are coming to us and saying, why isn't leadership moving on this? And they said, we, we'd like to start a council and all we need is your approval <clears throat> and support. And um, I said, well, let's, let, let, me, let me understand what you're thinking and how we're gonna do this. Um, and my only ask was that they keep us involved and informed. And um, so it, it kind of took off from there and they had a plan. We put together a charter uh, because it was important to me that we kind of define what, what do we hope to accomplish. Um, of course, not knowing where, where we'll end up or, or all the opportunities for improvement. But basically it got started with, with two employees coming forward and saying, this is important. Um, this is a chance for us to uh, do something meaningful. Will you support it? And I, I think it's important. We, we talk about when this happened. This was in the summer of 2020, right? Right. Obviously, after the, the murder of George Floyd and all the, the protests nationwide, this was obviously something that was on everybody's mind. Um, so you've been uh, leading STS for, for uh, several years. Is this something that you had thought about previously? It, it is something I had thought about. Um, but honestly, just wasn't sure how to get started. Um, and that's why I, I actually really liked that it was kind of a grassroots effort because I, I think it, um, it spoke to our employees more than if I had said, you know, we wanna start something. It was sort of employees saying this is important and we need to do it. And we have Stephanie and, and her executive team support, but it's gonna be employee led. So. Yes, to answer your question, it's something I have been thinking about, wasn't really sure the best way to go about it. And so it, it, it really worked out well that, that Lawrence and Todd came forward and, and said, we want to lead it. Um, and it was a good way to get it going. Yeah. But you mentioned that, you know, your, your ask was that, you know, you keep us involved. And I know, you know, you and your other, your, the rest of your executive team, you're meeting with Lawrence and Todd and, uh, and everybody else regularly. Uh, what's that dynamic been like? I believe we meet um, every other month, but then we've also probably in the last three months or four months decided that it might be good for me to meet with the whole council um, just to hear from their perspective progress, um, quest allow them the chance to ask questions and hear from me. Uh, but I think probably more importantly for me to hear from them on how things are going with where they have, where they're making progress, where they have challenges, how can I help potentially break down um, any potential barriers. So the dynamic has been good. And I just, um, yeah, I wanna make sure they know that, that I'm supportive, but I also wanna hear from them and understand how I can help. Um, the council, it was important to me on the front end that, that I understand and we talk about how best to form that council because I, I envisioned and, and was, was right that there would be way more people interested in being on the council than, than we could entertain from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but we, we actually defined a process where um, people would apply. And we, uh, I think we asked them two questions, things like, 
why should why are you passionate about this and and what do you bring to the table um and the applications were um blind so we didn't know who who was applying um and we formed a small group i was not one of the the selectors i think there was i think it was todd and lawrence and maybe um two people from our employee engagement team um and so anyway i felt like like so many things we needed to define how we were gonna do that selection. But then once they uh, selected the council, um, they knew that there were four areas that they wanted to focus on, things like um, how to recruiting, how to improve our recruiting communications, um, uh, and then um, education and outreach. And the fourth one is kind of escaping me, which I'm embarrassed to say, but um, th there were four distinct areas that they wanted the council to focus on. And so there's um, a lead and then two or three people on each uh, of those four work groups. Um, and and they ha we have made some progress. There's uh, much more um, uh, terrain to cover and improvements to be made. And for example, we kind of lost a few key a few key people that were working on the recruiting area. So that's an area where we haven't made as much progress, um, but, um, and that was a really long answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's okay. I'm glad you, I'm glad you went through all that uh, because I do want to actually, I'm curious to, to hear, um, you know, in your, in your meetings with the council, as you've made yourself available to, you know, listening to, to them, are there any stories that they told that that really um, left a mark on you? That 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 you that that really uh, uh, affected you? Uh... Uh, gosh, let me think. Um, I, you know, I, I I've been. I guess one thing is I've been pleased with the actual diversity of our council, um, and and that was important. I think is and that and that also I think I guess one of the things that they've helped me learn. Um, is that you know? There's so many different, and and of course, over the course of the last you know three or four years, I think we've all learned that diversity is not just a race um, or gender issue. There there are so many other ways that we should uh, consider uh, you know how to be more diverse and more inclusive. Um, I think one of some of the training that um, that the group, our council has helped identify and our Department of Human Resources has made available or just on the whole, the, the whole area of unconscious bias. Um, and I think that's, I think that's step one is us all understanding that we do, most of us do have uh, those unconscious, un, unconscious biases. Um, and so I, I think there's several things that kind of stick out to me. And that's one of them is that um, there is, there is uh, room for us all to be more um, cognizant and aware and then to, to try to help each other. Um, and so that training uh, has been uh, helpful and beneficial to many of us on our journey. Yeah. So I want to get back to something that was uh, in the report. Uh, some of the, the something that jumped out to me the most is that it was 93% of CIOs who answered the, who answered the survey said, yes, I believe I'm, you know, we have a uh, an inclusive agency, uh, but when we came to you know, do we have a diverse workforce? That number went down to sixty percent. So I'm wondering, you know, you know where that you know where kind of where that gap comes from. Like, yes, you know, I think you know almost everybody says yes. I'm I have an inclusive agency, uh, but but maybe the demographics are still you know kind of uh, unbalanced. Um, you know. Is, does that kind of show, you know, 
the, the road ahead uh, where the work needs to be done? I think it does. And I think, um, I think we're, we're all guilty of, of uh, thinking we're in a better position than we are because we don't truly understand until we um, hear from, from you know, multiple areas of, of uh, opportunity. So, um, and, and I think inclusion, I, I still have a lot to learn about what, what that really means and how to be better at it, both from the way I um, operate our, our, you know, our team, as well as how I interact with others. So I, I think part of the reason why I say yes, that foreshadows the work that we still have to do is that um, some of these concepts are, are very complex uh, concepts. Some of these concepts like inclusion um, is more complex than we want to understand. And so the way I define inclusion is not necessarily um, how the experts who are doing lots of studies and, and measurement on how we're doing. Um, so I think it does tell us um, we, we think we're a little better than we are and we have room to improve. And, and we need to constantly ask ourselves and, and our diversity and inclusion councils um, how to how to help people understand and how to bring us along and how do we measure that? What 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 are we specifically going to do and how do we measure our progress? We we in Tennessee still have um, some improvement on how we measure our progress, some room for improvement on how we measure our progress. You you've had this experience in Tennessee where you've had this uh, bottom up effort uh, led by employees. We've talked to the other CIOs. Some states have. Uh, diversity programs of their own. Sometimes it's directly in the agency. Sometimes it's across the entire state government. What have those conversations been like in terms of figuring out what works, what, what makes a difference? Goodness, that's a, that's a good question. And, and there's still, I think for me, many conversations to have, because I, I've, I've talked with a handful or, you know, six or seven CIOs. And um, I think we're, we're all, learning our way and, and want to learn from others and, and understand what's worked and where we have some opportunities to do some things differently. Um, you know, it does vary. And in some states, you know, it's driven by a, a higher a Department of Human Resources, for example. Um, and we've been fortunate in that we were, we were able to form our council. And then the two, Lawrence and Todd, who, who are leading, started and are leading our efforts, they actually serve on our bigger department of finance and administration on the diversity champion group at, at that level. So they're, they're able to uh, both influence and share what's going on at the department and learn from others, but then also, um, you know, bring that back to STS as well. Um, so I guess to answer your question, um, I think the conversations are, are still um, around this is, it's big, it's, it's important, and um, we, we need to learn from each other and share, um, just like we do with technology and, and new, you know, new innovation and, and how to, um, you know, we're all in on varying um, organizational models as well. I mean, you, you think about consolidation versus a, you know, a federated model. And so this is an area just, just like those difficult areas of, of technology and innovation and whatnot. We, we need to continue to talk about it. We need to continue to elevate it and um, learn from each other and share. What have you learned from this process? One of the things I told the council early on um, and just, just to be completely transparent is that, um, that 
you know, I, I, I'm afraid, I told them, I'm afraid I'm going to say something wrong. I, I'm afraid I'm going to um, um, upset someone or, or, and so, but I said, I, I can't let that stop me. And, and I'm, I, I said to them, you guys keep me in check. I mean, tell me if I, if I do that and help me learn from that. Um, so I think um, what's, what I've learned is that um, being, um, I don't know if vulnerable, that, that's probably not the right word, but being open and transparent about my concerns um, helped them understand where I was coming from and what I was inviting them to, um, to do in terms of, of helping me learn from that. Um, I think that kind of opened the door. I mean, once I said it, I immediately felt better and they received it, that, that council received it in a way that was um, um, focused on how we work together and how I wanted them to help me be, be better and understand where I had um, unconscious bias. So um, I guess that's what I would share is that it was, it was, it was hard to say those words, but I felt like it was better to, to say them and let them know where I was coming from than, than to keep that inside. Um, I, I think, um, you know, I said, I, I, in some ways, yes, I'm a minority as a female, but I'm not, I'm not a minority. Um, I mean, I can honestly say, I don't feel like I've ever been discriminated against or treated any differently because I'm a woman. And so I, I have a lot to learn. I, I can't necessarily walk in their shoes or haven't, um, but I do want to. I do want to understand and 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 uh, learn from um, their experience and help me be a better leader. Stephanie Demden, CIO of the state of Tennessee, speaking on diversity and inclusion in state IT organizations. You can read more about her and diversity and inclusion at statescoop.com or in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of StateScoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, the first of our interviews with CIOs at the National Association of State Chief Information Officers Mid-Year Conference. You can subscribe to hear more of the podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. State and local agencies will receive $1 billion over four years to bolster cyber defenses. The funds come as part of the infrastructure bill that passed last year and will require states to pull together committees comprised of subject matter experts to determine where the money goes. Wyoming is starting that work now, even as more guidance is forthcoming from the federal government. The state CISO Aaron Roberts tells StateScoop's Colin Wood about his perspective on how Wyoming is approaching whole of state cyber. Our general uh, strategy starts around the whole of state you know we've i've been in this position approximately six weeks and and we're really focusing on um, establishing a steady state within the yo.gov domain so to speak and then once achieved spanning that capability those services out to our uh, local and tribal communities yeah we believe you know because we are we're we're a small state, you know, small in population and uh, geographically uh, pretty big. I believe number ten, but um, but yeah, we're we're trying to span those capabilities because we don't we realize that there there's a um, a lack of resources within our local communities and uh, anything we can do to assist with that. Well, well that's our goal, right. All right. Well, uh, even, you know, being that you've only been there a, a short time, do you have a sense yet from your conversation so far about the kinds of challenges that those local, you know, kind of, it's a common story that we hear resource strapped local governments. Do you, do you have any sense of the sort of 
challenges that you'll face in assisting them? Yeah, and that's exactly right. You know, we're we're in a unique situation, like I said, we're uh, least populated state in the union and uh, finding the necessary resource, the technical expertise in, in a lot of these smaller communities has been quite difficult, but that's one of our, our goals, you know, riding for the brand here in Wyoming that uh, we're here as a state agency to assist our, our local municipalities, local tribal, uh, wherever we can in their cybersecurity efforts. Right. All right. So that kind of takes us into the grants. Uh, that's part of uh, the, the, you know, the CISA funding that's, that's to be coming here soon. This challenge that you're referring to is, is uh, that funding is meant to, to solve some of that. So how does this uh, grant, how, what are your kind of expectations for this grant? And what is your, what is your strategy for, for going after that, those federal dollars? So kind of a twofold strategy. So there are um, 16 specific target areas that we are going to have to focus on when we get the notice of funding opportunity. It should come in later this year. But um, we really want to ensure that we're advocating as a whole of a state, that we're including those local state and um, tribal partners in all of this. Make sure that, you know, that we're re meeting their needs, but also meeting the required needs of the notice of funding as well. Um, also, I think from some of the conversations that we've been having with our partner states, uh, our partners in other states, that we are pretty fortunate in the state of Wyoming because we have a really good relationship with our CIO, with our state enterprise and technology systems office. Um, so that's kind of put us ahead of the game where I think other states might not be there um, quite yet. And then also um, many other states are having to develop or enhance those partnerships where, like I said, we already have them. Also through this process, you know, we're going to bring together some of the top smart minds across the state and bring those subject matter experts in. We do know that the grant will require half of the planning committee to be subject matter experts. And then also we need to include um, representatives from both the education and the public health sector as well. Hmm. Um, and then uh, also we want to coordinate, again, um, efforts between the local, state, and tribal partners. Right. So where do your subject matter experts come from? Is that university partnerships or where do you, um, where do you find those people? It'll still be state and local. So um, we've been working with kind of our, our Secretary of State's office to get some good recommendations on local IT folks that, that are pretty sharp in that area at the local level. Also at the state level, um, we have a lot of subject matter experts in different areas of cyber um, within other state agencies. And so we'll be pulling them together as well. You know, we also have a, a, for other FEMA grants like this, we have a senior advisory committee that also has technical experts on there. And some of those committees, um, we have a cyber subcommittee, so we'll probably pull those those subject matter experts on over for this committee as well. Right. And if I understand correctly, there's uh, some match requirement for this funding. Do you, is there, uh, it sounds like there's the kind of the political will in your state to to do that and to make sure that you get some of the grant funding. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So we'll, um, you know, as we work with like the tribes and those types of things, it may have a possibility to lessen our match because it's a multi-jurisdictional um, grant investment. Um, so um, we really just kind of got to get that no foe and really understand all the insides and outs and the requirements. But um, 
there is a match and we do have the will in our state to, to go after this grant and, and meet that match and be able to better protect our, our community. Right, right. So uh, Aaron, when it comes to assisting some of these localities, do you have any idea on the specifics where they might need help? I mean, we mentioned the resource shortages, but is there anywhere that you think places will get the most bang for their buck? Like, um, you know, there's all the usual stuff that gets mentioned, like multi-factor authentication and, and all that kind of thing. But do you have any sense of how how to how best to make everyone's limited resources go the furthest and you know that's a good question what so what we'd initially do is go out in a, um, within our local communities and do needs assessments because we you know there isn't a definitive answer to say uh, you know if we do endpoint protection that's going to solve you know x percentage of your issues so the needs assessment to go out there and, and like I said, establish that and, you know, identify the gaps between their current cybersecurity status and what they, you know, need to be, what they should be, would be one of our first goals. Right. And uh, Mickey, you mentioned that uh, before we started recording that you're at a, a conference right now and you're doing some tabletop exercises and things. Could you talk a little bit about that? Um, sure. Yeah. So I'm at the One World Water Association conference. Um, it's their their yearly training conference, and um, one of the breakout sessions is introducing the water operators to doing tabletop exercises and um, looking at their system from the cyber side and the physical side and how those two integrate. Um, and so it's kind of the the baby steps, if you will, in this whole process of just getting them used to thinking about what does an emergency response plan look like? How should we write one? How should we use it? Who are the partners we need to bring at the table and really start having those tough conversations. Um, it's a lot of stuff that that uh, we do day to day within our agency and other state agencies. So it's, it's very normal to us, um, but to some of these small rural water facilities, they may have never done it. And so we're just really kind of starting to introduce them to the process. Um, and what that looks like from the local level on up to the state and federal level. Yeah. Do you think that things in the news, there's a number of kind of high profile incidents involving infrastructure that wasn't traditionally considered a cyber target that's kind of caught a lot of people's attention. Do you feel like those events have have uh, reached some of these smaller municipalities where in previous years, maybe they, they wouldn't have been so uh, aware of the importance of this stuff? Um, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we have, you know, every state has a, a state fusion center and Wyoming was one of the last states to get one, but we've worked really hard the last couple of years with our, our cyber assistance response effort, our care teams to help reach out to those. And so part of my job at Homeland Security as the cybersecurity and critical infrastructure program manager is to build those relationships with all those private sectors of critical infrastructure. And so um, again, I feel like we're ahead of the game because we've, I've been doing that for the last four or five years, um, working with our partners, building those relationships. And so when you know the Fusion Center, our office sends out a bulletin, they pay attention um, and we bring the, the so what to them and why it's important um, that just because they might be, you know, a rural, wa- a rural water system doesn't mean that they're not a target and here's how they can protect themselves. Um, and then here's some resources available to them. So it's really a local and state partnership. I'm um, just making them aware of it. 
letting them know that they have support. Because I think in the past, cyber has always been this really scary thing. And we've been working really hard to normalize what a cyber event is, um, just like a tornado, earthquake, flood, fire, anything like that, um, and how we can help them during that disaster. Right. Erin, you know, we may not have a great, uh, you know, benchmark for this considering, like you said, uh, just uh, six weeks into the job, but does the situation in Russia and Ukraine, has has the state seen any increased activity following that? Or has the state done anything um, to kind of, to just uh, monitor anything you can say about that? Sure. You know, the events uh, definitely between Ukraine and Russia have uh, required a heightened awareness. And, and I would be remiss if, you know, we've, we've always seen uh, sort of knocking at the door of our WYO.gov environment. Um, but, you know, with, with such an event and, uh, but yeah, we have seen an increase. And to go back to your other question, Colin, we've also seen um, an increase of water facilities specifically reporting um, exactly what Aaron said, that knocking at the door, increased scanning on their networks. Um, so they've been reporting that up to, to the Fusion Center, and we've been reporting that up to the federal level for them. Um, so again, it's that, that whole local state level awareness um, partnership that we've been working on. One thing I guess I would add to is for the administration of the grant um, that will come through the Wyoming Office of Homeland Security, and then it'll be directed by the planning committee, and then the final approval for the state plan, and, and the funds will be through the state CIO. Aaron Roberts, CISO for the state of Wyoming, and Mickey Munson, Cybersecurity and Critical Infrastructure Protection Program Manager for the state's Office of Homeland Security. You can read more about Wyoming and these cyber grants on statescoop.com, and again, in links in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review and or a rating on the podcast page. That makes it more likely that more people like you will find the show. This show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.